Hello and welcome to Under the Skin from Luminary Media. This week I spoke with Scarlett Curtis. Scarlett is the author of Feminists Don't Wear Pink and Other Lies. Amazing women on what the F word means to them. And her new book, It's Not Okay to Feel Blue and Other Lies. Inspirational people open up about their mental health. That's coming out on the 3rd of October. Thanks for all your comments on last week's podcast with beloved Ross Kemp. Here is some. Sassy Lisa Lister, listening to this now and finding it the most insightful and wisdom-filled programming that the husbo hmm, and I are pausing at minute by minute intervals to discuss all the points, caps, literally driving aimlessly so we can finish listening. We may be some time. Why don't you park the car? Don't drive aimlessly. People will be concerned. Pull over somewhere safe and uh, listen to Ross Kemp. Now do what you like, mate. Susan Azimboya, loved listening to these two grapple with the thin membrane between relatively privileged and a worldwide underclass. One of my favourite episodes of Hashtag Under the Skin ever. Thanks, mate. Ryan French, listen to our Rusty Rockets Hashtag Under the Skin podcast with Ross Kemp. Great show, I have to say. I still expect Ross to speak Cockney. He's certainly got an estuary accent, hasn't he? Cash Saunders, loved it. We need more people like Ross to tell us how it really is. The story's how bloody horrific some people's lives truly are. A down-to-earth bloke. I really enjoyed the chat. Thanks. I really enjoyed the tone of that missive. All right. Uh, hey, if you're interested in me, and why wouldn't you be, I've got a YouTube channel, and it's me talking about spiritual stuff. So go and uh, subscribe to that if you haven't done that already. Plus, you get lovely little clips and things on it. Come and see me at the Greenbelt Festival in Corby on the 24th of August if you want to come. You can get tickets at greenbelt.org.uk. Sign up to my mailing list, russellbrand.com, and you'll get told about upcoming shows because sometimes they're quite small and secretive and furtive little gatherings. Also, I'm going to send you like real original little bits of content. Check out Rebirth on Netflix if you feel like it. Follow us on at Rusty Rockets on Twitter and uh, on Instagram. I'm Russell Brand. Now let's get into Under the Skin with the wonderful Scarlett Curtis. Trying to achieve equality with the annihilation of category is not no, a successful that, route. Yes, that's, that, that's exactly right. We're in this era where it turns out we were never the boss. It doesn't look like an ideology. What's beneath the surface of people we admire, of the ideas that define our time, the history we are told? And welcome to Russell Brand Under the Skin. Thanks for coming here. Thank Scarlett. you for having me. It's such a pleasure. What do I want to ask you about? Loads of things. We know that we know each mutual people. Yeah, mutual We know people. that we know each, like, each other's family. You know my wife. I do. I love your wife. I suppose in my own life, this marks a particular transition to my own maturation in that there's not many people I know where I actually know their parents as adults and now you are and if I was meeting you now for the first ever time you would be another just adult but now I'm aware of your lineage because I know both your mother and father well I think it's more that they're secretly very old they're elderly yeah exactly they're elderly people decrepit individuals I think we met when I was like a teenager, maybe. Yeah, probably. You look quite uncomfortable with that. Yeah, Yeah, I think I was still sick and you would come over and be quite loud. Loud? (laughs) Even off duty? There was a weird thing when I was sick because my house is always like a train station and I would just be upstairs like in my bedroom crying and there'd be all these kind of people downstairs or famous people coming in and out and I would just be in my pyjamas. Not feeling particularly good. But it was fun. Well, let me tell you, the worm has turned because now it's me that feels quite fragile. 
um, lacrimose and here you are yeah. bold and strident yes and pink haired how are you enjoying all of this because the thing I suppose that, that I became most aware of uh, like I'm interested in your work and the way that you're corralling interesting people into talking about topics that benefit from a popular and populist approach but I liked it when uh, I don't know if I liked it I was interested when uh, your top shop thing happened yeah that what was, was very interesting yeah yeah, it was actually very it was quite weird because it was very traumatic in some ways we um i brought out this book called feminist don't wear pink and we our big kind of pr stunt what we spent all our money on was getting the book into the top shop on oxford circus because the whole idea of the book was not just to reach the people that would normally buy a feminist book but to reach like your 14 year old girl that is only interested in or thinks she's only interested in shoes and makeup and then stumbles upon a nice pink feminist book and joins the army um and then on the first day of our pop-up philip green came in himself and ripped down the store um and yeah it was just very horrible it was very horrible for people there and it was very kind of odd it was funny when we were putting the book together i thought the only backlash we were going to get was from other feminists which was actually really bad way of thinking but i was just constantly worried that it wasn't going to be academic enough or it wasn't going to be this enough or this um and then when it happened it was a bit of a wake-up call how i don't know it's just i think there is a worry with all this work that you get very insidery and you start you know you start picking apart what other feminists do and you're having these fights with these people who believe 99 percent of what you believe and there's one percent that is different and so you're constantly talking about that and you're kind of forgetting that half the world actually doesn't even think women should be paid as much as men and doesn't think feminism is needed and you know it happens on every issue and I really hate that and I think I'm really trying to move away from any if basically if you believe even vaguely what I believe I'm in you know I'm not going to pick apart what you're doing and I really hope it doesn't go the other way yeah the uh, Judean people's front syndrome from love of brian like <laughs> sp- endlessly splintering groups with basically the same yeah and i think objective. the left wing of the world is generally does that more and i think in some ways it's great because we revise opinions and we don't let you know the most powerful people speak and we we correct each other and there's so much i've learned from that like there's so much of that that has been really good for me and when i was in new york i did lots of like organizing with black lives matters groups and would get a lot of like real criticism and understandable criticism and so i think it's great but i do think right now in the political climate we are at risk of kind of tearing each other apart which is is scary yes some years ago i heard the idiom the right look for converts the left look for traitors yeah or allies, I can't remember. But anyway, the focus was on the left pulling each other yeah. apart. So what have you learned and how do you think that you're going to... What sort of alliances are you interested in building? Um, I don't know. I just think I try and be generally quite accepting of everyone. Like, I generally like all women, um, which is probably wrong. But I think there are other people out there who are more critical than me. And so I'm allowed to... You know, I... It's just who I am. I think the funny thing about activism is everyone is an activist in the way they're also a person. So like, I'm very, I'm not very combative. I'm not very aggressive. I'm 
way more likely to like cry than I am to shout and I think that's also the way I'm I'm an activist like I generally try and do it from a place of like chatting and being friendly that's um, good it's yeah. sort of a truthful expression of who you are that you don't feel that there's an external apparel of right I'm an activist so I better be like this totally exactly and like you know we were just talking about Jamila who's like one of my best friends in the world and we're so different and we're always going to be so different and I think the world needs both of those kinds of people like people that can be angry and uh, loud and then people that are a bit softer and quieter I suppose whether it's creatively or in the field of activism if what you're doing is a truthful expression of who you are then there's there's a chance that there's some longevity exactly yeah I couldn't be the other way in any way and I think I spent a lot of my life kind of thinking that who I was wasn't okay and wanting to change that and then now I'm just like well it's a lot easier if I just be me and accept that what was this not thinking that who you are was okay tell me about that so it's quite a long story but I um was very normal gal until I was 14 um and then I had an operation that went wrong when I was 14 and I was in I woke up from the operation in agony and then I was in constant pain for three years I couldn't walk had to drop out of school um I couldn't really do anything I had lost all my friends um and during that time I was just misdiagnosed repeatedly for three years so they basically in the end decided I was making up the pain oh yeah, so I was told that I was crazy. I was told that I was doing it because I was too close to my mum. I was told that I was doing it because I didn't want to go back to school. I was told that I was doing it and I didn't realise I was doing it, that like my brain had <laughs> convinced myself that I was in pain. And then after three years, they were like, oh, we're just going to do another operation and just check. Um, and they found a screw going into my spine. Oh, and, my God. Yeah, yeah and uh, they took it out and I woke up and the pain was gone. Um, and then I think the whole time I'd been sick, I'd imagined this life when I was better, you know, it was like when I was better, it was going to be amazing and I was going to run marathons and I was going to climb mountains and understandably, I just had a complete breakdown. So then for about another three years, I was just crippled by like panic attacks and anxiety and depression and, um, yeah so I think I just spent so many years sort of really questioning myself and and when you're told that you're crazy it it sort of manifests as true I think yeah it does doesn't it and Mm. I think I suppose something that's as uh anatomical and physical as like pain being told that you're not feeling like because I suppose I while you were saying that, I was trying to think, well, okay, what's my frame of reference for that? And I sort of feel like, oh, right, I always felt like I, I don't fit in. Yeah. But, and the thing that I feel is more true than what you're telling me. Yeah. But it wasn't at obviously visceral or like, oh, I'm in actual pain and people are saying I'm not in pain, I'm making it up and it's an expression of some complex or another. Yeah. So, But wait, I'm interested. Do you think you were like, did you still believe that what you felt was right? Yeah. Yeah, because I think it goes two ways. Like, either it's like I I was I saw 1984 the other day the play and I was like, this is my story. But I think you know under torture or under any kind of gaslighting or anything, you either fight against it or you believe it. And 
I just believed it. I believed they were crazy. I, be I believed I was crazy. I believed the authority, you know? Because I never had a reason not to. Like, I was a nice, posh white girl. And I was like, well, of course doctors know best. And um, so, yeah, I just turned everything against myself. And I think, yeah, you just go one or two ways. It's interesting. Right. So you've, your inner life contained, oh, God, I must be mad then. Mm, yeah. I fully believed I'd made up the pain and destroyed my life and my family's life and took me a long time to kind of unpick that. Yeah, I bet, it, it, I, yeah, I can imagine it would. Because, um, you know, like, it's one of the, uh, I have this idea that most things can be amended or altered somehow through this, uh, an intuitive, mental, intellectual, spiritual, kind of analysis like no this is like you know I, I'm the kind of person that would have really entertained if we were in the abstract if we were talking about someone else oh I see wow so that pain is a manifestation of that she's too close <laughs> to her mum that seems that's interesting so what we have to do then is address the way that she relates to her mum and then the pain will go because you know I'm really open to that idea but there are a lot of people that would just say you know of my particular condition like today for example I feel sort of a little bit morose and lacrimose and a bit vulnerable and fragmented and uh, uh, weak and vulnerable and I feel like some people go well there's a hormonal imbalance Russell if you took this supplement you'd yeah. feel better and but and I always feel like no there must be some meditative spiritual thing that yeah. I can do to resolve it I really struggle with that nexus of the you know physical world and the what you know the super material world the spiritual world the emotional world the mental world however you well it's control as well isn't it like oh. it, it's a control thing like I always want to be able to control how I'm feeling. I always think mm. I can think my way out of every situation. Yeah. If I'm sad, I th I think that if I just think hard enough about what caused it, how it happened, how to get better, it will be able to get better. And sometimes you just can't. Like, what do you mean? You have to sit and be unhappy for a while and accept it? I think so. Yeah, I, I think, think you've so. got to worry about that. I think, yeah. But I also feel like I'm only talking, oh, I suppose it's to a degree most people are other than highly qualified academics <laughs> i'm only speaking from personal experience but my, the rubric of my uh, position is 12 steps so i'm if i feel like you know as i do now like oh, i feel a bit sad i think okay so accept that you feel sad that's the first this thing you know powerless over the way i feel and, and if i'm not careful my life will become unmanageable if like my feelings of sadness cause me to be self-destructive or impolite or you know like whatever the second step in this case you know that it's possible for me to not feel sad so it's okay so there is the possibility this situation could change the third step i'll be asking you know ask for help yeah. i won't try and resolve this entirely in my own head yeah using the ecosystem <laughs> that's caused the problem yeah and then the fourth and fifth steps are much more about inventory telling another person identifying what the problems are in a more yeah. on a more minute level and, and there's other procedures but like uh, that in a sense provides uh, provides me with a framework uh, it's been the tight the limits of that system uh that you know obviously that i suppose there are limitations but it's very successful for example in my own life it's, i've gone from being a crack and heroin addict to not being a crack and heroin addict and like all behaviors around food behaviors around sex all of these things i've seen alter the way that i relate to other people i've seen them all, all alter one of the areas where i've not in my own life but in other people's lives i've seen the limitations is around like eating mm. like I, i've seen like oh wow this there are there is real room for help and trauma those are the two areas where i've seen that the 12 steps could do with the 
incorporation of different mentalities. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. Like eating, for example, well, that seems like some extreme world when people go into that stuff. Yeah, and I think that's an interesting too because they're often tied together, aren't they? What? I think trauma... So I've had... I was diagnosed with PTSD um, five years ago and it is a real... Are you allowed to swear on this? Yes. Yeah, it's a real fucker trauma <laughs> and PTSD. It really sort of pain. It just like it rots your brain. And I truly, I think, came into adulthood thinking I was broken. And it's. I always used to crave for a twelve-step program. And I think that's why I loved your book so much because it sort of expands that out um, to other things. But it's taken me a really long time to get to grips with my trauma and sort of be able to lessen it a bit. The original trauma, this period where you are in physical pain, and I'm assuming you, like, you know, you're still a child, loving family environment, but you're becoming more and more fragmented and yeah. feeling like you're further and further away from them. And this is, the, the in a sense, a trauma of a unwelcome, like an unwelcome severance from pretty much everybody else because you're starting to question your own sanity and feeling like your own experience of the world is uh, bogus yeah it was that i it was i was uh sort of very much abused by some of the doctors which was horrible how do you mean um i don't talk about it, it was i don't say no 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 it's interesting i know it's good i think i was um because they thought i was making it up they can I just ask this, does this undermine the severity <laughs> no, you're telling it. me it's like and I sent this something you've not often said it, but you did buy me this fan it and it's really very effective it really adds to your vibe and I'm trying to use it in a way that thank you I think and I'm also trying to use it aggressively enough that you will benefit it is helping yeah I'm not that hot though it's fine it is the hottest day of the year I yeah I was because they thought I was making it up and because I was 14 and because I was a girl and because all the opportunities appointments I went to with my mum they just over the years got more and more horrible and I was sort of put through some really really extreme and abusive situations with these doctors which was very hard because I think you are trained especially um you know as like white people in the western world to just trust everyone and trust authority and I thought you know if I had a fire a fireman would save me and if I got sick a doctor would save me and if I was in trouble a policeman would save me and then suddenly these doctors were really just uh yeah abusing me and being horrible so there was that and then also this is quite interesting but I have a, what we discovered a few years in I have a problem with my enzymes which means I over metabolize drugs so no drugs work on me so Bloody hell. I would be You're a super mutant I'm a super mutant so I can take like 10 sleeping pills and stay awake and oh they would pump me full of morphine and I'd be feeling everything so I really did feel all the pain for those three years um, which is probably they. I mean, they used to. I used to like. I was this fifteen-year-old with like a bag full of oxycontin, but none of it would work. Which is how do you rationalise? How do you do? <laughs> Where do you, you get off? <laughs> Where do you? How do you rationalise this experience and make sense of it? Obviously, I mean, I'm guessing that part of it is like how, how have you transitioned from this very personal experience? I'm beginning to see some of the. Uh, cartilage in that uh, yes. you talked about like oh I've got this we're taught that a fireman's going to save you if there's a fire and these various people in positions of service because I'm, I'm interested in how that 
that apparently benevolent authority has a shadow that uh, is sort of about control. Yeah, I think, so it's funny. I I mean, you know my dad, you know my family, they're very positive. I grew up thinking the world was a great place. I thought people were fundamentally great. I thought everyone was nice. And I still believed that the whole time I was going through what I was going through. And I think even then I thought, well, I must have done something wrong if this is happening to me. I must have messed up at some point along the process. And I truly believed I was evil. I thought everyone in the world was great and I was evil. (laughs) And then, you know, I got out of pain and then went through all this stuff and I was just... I was so unhappy and I was so unable to function. Like I really, really couldn't leave my house for years. I was in rehab for a bit. I was in all these programs and I could never find anything that helped. I read a million self-help books. I listened to every podcast. I went on every course. I tried everything and nothing ever helped. And I think it was only, I always say like the first self-help book that worked on me was a book about feminism because it was genuinely through being able to understand what had happened to me in terms of like systems of patriarchy it not being my fault it reassessing how I was just this tiny child because I think I thought I was all grown up you know I was 14 I was the oldest child and it was really through that that I started to be able to understand what happened and then also through about a million therapies I see every therapist in the world so that does help and I'm on medication you're on medication yeah. therapy, but also that, that we'll this we'll tick them off one by one. But like, <laughs> how what how was it that you were that? How did you transpose your personal experience of sort of medical negligence, misfortune, poor interpretation? How can you tell me the stages of how you uh, you diagnosed that through the, the lens of feminism? So I think it made me very obsessed with oppression. And not just like, I think I grew up thinking oppression was like, you can't have this or like you stay locked up here, you know, just basic oppression. And it made me very obsessed with psychological oppression and how people and women and minorities are kind of held back through perpetuating a self-belief. So you end up holding yourself back. So by the time that I had emerged out of my teenage years. I'd been told so often that I was crazy. I'd been told so often that I was messing up. I'd been told so often that I wasn't doing the right thing, that I was fundamentally wrong, that I needed to fight my natural instincts, that I needed to push myself into pain was one of their big things. They were like, you always need to be in as much pain as possible to remind your brain that you're not really in pain. And I was in pain, I had a screw going through my spine. So I'd spent so long with that, that my self-esteem was so low that I would never have fought back. I would never have challenged anything that was said to me. I'd never have believed in myself enough to even like leave the house, speak up in class, um, do anything. I was just this shell. And I think then I went to university and I started, it may be wrongly, maybe rightly, but relating what I'd been through to these bigger systems of oppression where people are told again and again that who they are is x and then they start to believe that and you start to push yourself on and that's the side of feminism i'm really interested in is sort of the way that women's brains get rewired so that they hold themselves back it's like the most genius method of (laughs) containing someone is by convincing them that they can't actually do the things that men can do 
and that they sh don't have the right to speak up. And I think I just, you know, honestly, I can't tell you. I tried not, I tried everything. And then in New York, I found this feminist group and it was like sort of finding a, I mean, it was literally like finding a cult. <laughs> I was like, suddenly my whole life made sense and I started to get back bits and bits of this self-esteem that I'd completely lost and really just understand what had been, yeah, what had been going on. I like that. I, I like being able to recognise personal plight and how its coordinates can uh, directly correlate with broader social issues. And it makes sense to me that past parts of your individual reconstruction and the the you finding your purpose relates to a, a broad and clear social issue. Could you tell me a bit more about the rewiring of the female psyche in order that the oppression takes place at the level of the individual? So like you were saying that you always felt like you were weird yeah. and not like everyone else, but you were just sort of like, well, fuck them. I'm me, right? Is that what you were saying? The experience of the being weird when I was like 14 and 12 and all of that, it, the, the fuck em thing was not being expressed, yeah. but I was thinking. But you were thinking it. Yeah, but yeah. and you think that relates to maleness. I do, it, you know. Because I was a particularly go, female little kid, I would say. I'm sure, but I think what happens to women <laughs> is that in that way you are told by society every single day from the day that you're born that you are in some way wrong as you are naturally and that you need to be this kind of a woman you know we're, we're literally told it from birth i know that you look skeptical but i do think it's no, true I don't think it's i'm sure that happens yeah and i think you're told it again and again and again and then when you feel things that don't fit into this reinforced view of womanhood that you are seeing again and again and again instead of thinking well that's wrong that i'm i am a woman as well mm. and this thing that they're projecting at me is clearly wrong mm. you think oh god there must be something wrong with me okay i should hide that part of me mm. i should hide this part of me i should make myself smaller i should make myself quieter i should make myself prettier i should make myself less sexual i should all these things that we're told women are you say it again and again and again and again and then you start to believe well maybe i don't deserve that maybe i shouldn't speak up maybe i don't deserve a pay rise maybe i don't deserve a promotion maybe i do deserve this horrible relationship maybe i do deserve to have to spend half my weekly money on getting my hair done and buying clothes and you just start to believe what the patriarchy is telling you until you're the one you're the only person holding yourself back at least in the west in other countries there's more so there's yeah rigid ongoing cultural messaging which is uh, possibly inherently related to commerce yeah commerce and i think it's a you know it's a way the patriarchy works sort of a, as a socializing force yeah but this is not to contradict your arguments yeah, yeah, which no, I, I like it accept and support right but as a male unless you're from a particular strata of society, yeah. which I am not from, you are told this is what it is to be a man. Totally. These are the obligations of a man, right? And like, say that you, perhaps there is a benefit if you are that type of man. Say you are from the class I'm from, say you're good at football, for example, that's a bit of a pass, or you're good at fighting or whatever it is. 
you know, and, and then probably in different classes, good at different sports, good at different activities, or bred to lead and succeed and told your whole life. I remember the first time, um, one of the only times I went to the Houses of Parliament, and I noticed the leather and mahogany. Right, I thought, oh, that's interesting, it's green leather and mahogany. I started to feel nervous. And I tried to think, why does that make me feel nervous? And I remember the only other times I'd ever seen leather and mahogany that had been when I'd been in court. Yeah. And then I thought, oh, right, but the people that are here now, their schools looked like this. So for them, leather and mahogany signifies who you are in yeah, that place where you're, you're in home. charge. But for me, it signifies you better watch out. Yeah. You're about to get in serious trouble. Um, so, like... Uh, I wonder what are the points of alliance between, uh, like you say, you do work with uh, like Black Lives Matter. I wonder what the points of alliance are with, uh, say, economically stressed groups that uh, transcends uh, gender classification. Nothing. I don't think anything transcends gender classification. I think within every group, women are worse off. But I also think one of my catchphrases, it's <laughs> very not very catchy, is that. Um, women can uphold the patriarchy just as much as men and men are victims of the patriarchy just as much as women. So I think all, exactly what you're saying is true of men. Men are told they can't be vulnerable. Men are told they can't cry. There's not It's not coincidence that suicide rates are higher for men um, than any other group, or especially white men than any other group, because there is so much pressure and you are told of these things. What you aren't told is that you're not good enough and that you need to sort of make yourself smaller and less and that's the thing I'm particularly interested in but I also think everyone has privilege and everyone lacks privilege you know we that is what intersectional feminism is intersectional feminism is looking at it's not just women and men it's the ways that all of these methods of oppression intersect and like I mean you're interested in academia but there's this amazing academic called Kimberly Crenshaw and she wrote this law paper called The Basement Analogy, where she says, if you think of it, if you think of women as all being in this basement and on the above the basement, there are men and all the women are stacked up in the basement and the women at the top are the white middle class women who, but for their gender, would be at the top of the basement. And then as you get down, you get people who occupy more and more in sections of other points of oppression until at the very bottom you have people that are just discriminated at from every angle. And the way that society has historically tried to enact feminism is by lifting up the women at the top and saying, oh, it will trickle down. And if we lift these women up first, we'll get to you in a minute, you know, and they'll be up there and they can help pull you up. And actually it doesn't work like that. It's never worked like that. It's what we've been doing forever. You know, women got the vote over 100 years ago and it still hasn't really worked. And she just advocates for this method of, feminism where you start from the bottom and then if you start from the bottom everyone will get up but you need to focus all your energy on those who are most discriminated against in order to release anyone mm, that makes sense to me so economically poor it's exploited race class gender um sexuality oh, yeah gen you know um gender expression everything race because I suppose, like... Disability. Do you think... Well, <laughs> this is going to keep shouting. <laughs> Stop shouting things that can happen. <laughs> um, so, uh, what about this? What about uh, the uh, a social structure such as ours, of patriarchy, uh, by achieving equality within that system, we merely 
have new participants in a system that is by its nature corrupted and hegemonic or the changes be systemic as opposed to allowing different groups of individuals yeah. to participate it's my favorite question i is think it? yeah i think for a long time feminists the idea of gender equality was basically just women should try and be like men so we'll get jobs and we'll wear suits and we'll be shouty and we'll be aggressive and we'll do all of this stuff and exactly what you're saying is true the system doesn't work the system of patriarchy is is bad for everyone men don't want to be like that women don't want to be like that and there are some feminists who believe like the suffragettes believed that men and women were exactly the same and it was just conditioning like if we were brought up in exactly the same way we'd be the same and so they thought we just need to even this all out and get people into jobs and get people to get the vote and get people into parliament and everything will be fine Virginia Woolf believed that women had something that was fundamentally feminine and could be used to create new systems of power that weren't hierarchical, that weren't toxic, that weren't about shouting and being loud and strength. They were about actually utilizing this female softness in a way that helped everyone. And I think people still kind of fall between the lines and you still see some women who very much sort of want to emulate what we've traditionally thought of as male but I th what I believe is that actually what women can offer and what true equality would look like is that we've all adapted to a more you know if you're talking about like energy and stuff uh, energy the world has been run on male energy for the last centuries and I think we all need to adapt to an energy that actually is more 50-50. You can see how that would occur, can't you, sort of anthropologically without examining it for very long, which is, that's the approach I've taken. Because yeah. you would imagine that as uh, societies formulated, hewn from rock and fire and bronze and steel, all those ages from books, that physical strength and testosterone would be vital components in without the forging doubt, of early yeah. societies. But as uh, civilizations evolve, if indeed that is what civilizations are doing, and God knows how we could ever tell because what would we be comparing it to then the incorporation of different energy systems and modalities would be important totally I, so and I, I think it would you. solve you know there's this amazing I know, I'm friends with this amazing woman called Alama Rabbit and she's a UN peace negotiator and peace negotiations that have women involved in are 78% more likely to succeed than ones that just have men and yet no one has women in peace negotiations and so it's things like that you know I remember my dad directs films and he used to go on his film sets and they'd be scary and intimidating and then I went on a film d directed by a woman just to look around and I was like oh my god it's a different place I didn't know that you could direct like this just from a place of softness and kindness. What about the binary system such as our uh, the way that we are discussing sex and gender currently might lack nuance for example like eg like it's like uh, i don't know your father super super well but i've known him a long time um i would imagine that he's a very gentle sweet fella to be you know be directed by and whereas i I've, I've worked with women obviously that are directors that are pretty hardcore totally yeah because i think they're directing in the way they've been told to direct by men my dad's interesting. He actually hates directing, which he says, so he's not the best example. Um, but he's interesting. And, you know, my dad's like my best friend and we're very close. And he is a very kind and gentle and soft man. And I think he's been freed from a lot of the kind of expectations of manliness that a lot of men fall into. But he has also benefited from a lot of systems of patriarchy. Like he 
never had to worry about, you know, our nannies or our doctor's appointment or getting our meals ready or that was all my mum. And the reason he was able to work and be a dad is because of my mum. She had to give up a lot of stuff. She had to always be there for us. You know, she also worked and it was hard for her. And I think my dad as well is just starting to realise that more. And um, yeah, I think my mum actually blames me. She says that I've kind of ruined her (laughs) by making her think about all these things. Can I tell you a bunch of stuff I think that's not particularly connected just to get your opinion on it? You know, on Love Island, like they'll get you to, they'll get them to do a challenge where they have to all kiss one another in order to facilitate, like because in so doing they create more comfort with kissing and it moves stuff forward. Well, we can talk about Love Island at length because it's a topic that I'm extremely interested in. But the, another subject in which I'm extremely interested in is Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, which, because it's grappling and wrestling, yeah. involves a lot of proximity and contact with men. Yeah. I grew up in a place called Grey's in Essex, right? And um, my, like, default education on homosexuality, the first time I heard any, like, words like gay and what, were as slurs Negative, and insults, yeah. right? No, no one would ever, like, in fact, I don't, one of my cousins went to art college and the first gay person I met, I reckon I was, maybe I was, like, mid-teen, so it's not sort of too late. Um, but, like, uh, and I was like, oh, right, I get it, but it's still, like, it was not, well, that were presented yeah. among my other cousins and stuff. Anyway, my point is this, that I, like... I noticed that I sort of have these male crushes, which are not especially erotic, just to qualify, um, on men that I do jujitsu with. And I started to think, hold on a minute, the reason I've got these male crushes on these men is because this is the first time I'm ever having... To touch men, yeah. Yeah, and I've never done it before. Yeah. So, like, had I grown up in a system where male contact was more ordinary and regular, my um, very assertive, and I thought, vanilla heterosexuality... Yeah, I think this is actually an area where women benefit from the patriarchy way more than men. Because we are, from birth told to touch other women hug other women love other women have crushes on other women talk to women about our emotions you know cry together talk together tell them all our problems and men just aren't and I see that is something I would never give up like I think it's so lucky that women have that I think men need that way more yeah I think so and I want to consider like this point that we just discussed for a moment that this system is primarily uh, like it, 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 it. What do I want to say? Is sourced from aspects of maleness that necessarily mean that there are female traits that will either have to be oppressed, repressed, yeah. abandoned, or penalised, uh, and that the way to achieve equality is not through amending women but by amending the systems themselves i also think i want to make clear when we talk about male energy and female energy it's not necessarily men and women you know i think a whole other side of this conversation is that gender is very much been enforced on us because of our sex and I think you know men can have more female energy and women can have more male energy and all of that but the male energy in our society does dominate Yes, that's. Uh, I agree because that's a, a, a curious aspect of uh, a um, binary exactly, conversation. Yeah. I mean, gender binary is a whole nother chat, and I should not be the person having that chat because I am a cis woman. But um, yeah, I just want to make that clear. But it's sorry, curious, what were you saying? Well, I suppose because 
part of what we're discussing is predicated on the idea of an absolute thing called womanness yeah, or femininess, binary gender, which and then is another wrong. thing called maleness, and that, and it sort of, sort of, it's, it's, it's as a person, as a parent, I'm observing the construction of a person, yeah, and I'm being aware of my own influence and input as much as I can I'm really trying to remain conscious and present of the messages that I give these little people I'm trying to be aware of the role of a parent to honor and respect the essence of an individual yeah. and bring it forth and nurture it and encourage it and frankly Jesus Christ in the two-year-old it's, it's intense man because she's a force yeah what she seems to need is a repressive structure. <laughs> <laughs> she I see do ballet started. and only wear pink. For God's sake, bring this kid down. Um, you know, it's it, we. In a way, what we're. I, I wonder. Do you think this, Scarlett? That what we start to what we are approaching is the necessity for honouring the in the nature of individuals, the the right of individuals to form social groups that are in which they are free yeah and to to not be inhibited by external and sometimes constructed ideas of how individuals should be based on i don't know their biology the way totally. that they're gendered. but i think what's so complicated about it is it is about honoring the individual but you can't just start doing with that with someone when they're 40 years old you know because it's all happened already like if you think about the fact that 52 percent of white women voted for Donald Trump, not for Hillary Clinton. That was from a point of internalized sexism and thinking that actually, even as a woman, you don't think a woman can do the job. And so by the time you've got to that point where you're so hypnotized by the system you've grown up in, you know, there's no going. So we do need to start with babies. I agree with, uh, I, I agree that people are obviously in like condi conditioning is a real thing. We are sitting here speaking in the English language. We've been programmed to understand the English language. There's my cultural programming is like evident, and sort of. And I feel very grateful that I'm a person that's been equipped with psychological and spiritual yeah. tools to, to somewhat unravel the aspects of my social programming that have been punitive to me, and without question, others. But when we get into something like the Trump uh, Clinton situation, I feel that in a sense that Hillary Clinton is a good example of something that we've already discussed in that her womanness like isn't was not what was of primary importance about her and I feel that what America responded to was here is an election like most elections where we're so limited in what we are being offered and that the fact that one of them's a woman and one of them's a male how how important do you think that was how do you think that important was it that for was ordinary so Americans important. Like, it was everything. How important I mean, do you think she was Barack flawed. Obama's blackness is to America? I think it, it was hugely important, and I think... Do you think it's benefited America? I mean, um, I know that we're sort of straying away from your area of expertise no, in education. No, 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 I think it's complicated, and I think, you know, it's all push, push and pull, isn't it? Like, I think in many ways Trump is a reaction to Obama and having a black man in office for eight years. I think he did great things. I also think he maybe brought on a feeling of... Um, relaxed I, there's a word for it, i can't remember but a feeling of complacency like we've got him you know we don't need much else but i don't really know the thing with hillary is it was part of every single thing she did she was 
picked apart as a woman from day one. She was called things and addressed and depicted in the media in a way she never would have been if she was a man. And yes, she was flawed. And yes, it was about who she was. But I truly believe that if she had been a man, she would have beat Trump. Because I suppose I'm coming from this from an entirely different perspective because my sense is that part of the way that our systems are able to preserve themselves is by nominal concessions to ideas such as sex and race that don't have meaningful impact on the lives of others. Uh, E.g. a Hillary Clinton presidency. When you talk about that basement and the women that are most negatively affected at the bottom... And and I, and I I I'm curious to how positive if if they would have benefited from Hillary Clinton being president. I don't know if they would have benefited. You know, in the same way that we're still picking apart whether people of color benefit from Obama being president, but she didn't become president because she was a woman. That's possibly it's true. But thing. how relevant is that? if institutions such as American democracy can withstand the apparent the presence of a female or a non-white person and entirely preserve their necessary structures where totally, yeah. power and resources will not change because and, what I does think... that, and where does that leave these arguments if the actual power structures can mechanize yeah. and uh, exhibit power without I ever necessarily making concessions leaves the argument in what a lot of the feminist movement is now which is not just getting one woman slipped through the door or slipped up from the basement it's about a huge structural change it's about changing the foundations on which all of capitalism was built on which all of our society was built you know it's for ages i think we thought like oh but i have a woman that works for my company or i've got a woman boss this isn't an issue anymore or oh you guys have got the vote it doesn't matter anymore or you know oh but you can do whatever you want and we have a female prime minister and nothing matters and it's not even about that it's nothing it has nothing to do with one person slipping through it has to do with a huge systematic shift Yes, and and for me that systematic shift is not like the the inclusion of like you know say like in Parliament if it were split fifty fifty yeah. between men and women I'd go oh great it's, exactly now it's men exactly. and women that oppress me. You know me. my mum never thought she was a feminist because she didn't think she needed to be and she thought it was done and she was told it was done and you know the fact that she was pinched on the bum at work didn't matter and you know the fact that she was paid less didn't matter and the fact that she was expected to give up her job didn't matter because it was fixed and Margaret Thatcher had been a thing and you must see it as well like you grew up very working class and now you're not but the fact that you slipped through doesn't mean that the class system isn't still just as messed up as it always has been. That's right. That's exactly what... And, and it, to be honest, that's the way that I... That's the necessarily... Well, not necessarily, but actually the lens through which I perceive the world is... like where The arguments that I hear around race have always been like uh, as sympathetic as I can be given my conditions and with uh, sex I've been educated about it and I always think yeah no that's right that's definitely right that's definitely right but where I viscerally yeah. live is class because that's the one that but I experienced then, two things from that do you not see that women and people of color who are also working class are even more disadvantaged than you might have been yes Good. And then the other thing is I'm fascinated by activism and trauma and that point of emotion and how this work and what you care about and what you feel isn't a 
uh, intelligent thing. It's an emotional thing. Like I, you know, there's so many things I get and I read books about and I'm like, yeah, 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 understand it. And then if there's anything to do with women or mental health, my soul drops out, you know, and I would give up anything to do it. And I kind of love that and I hate it because I think it also means a lot of this work is very triggering and emotional. It makes me think that justice might be a real thing, Scarlett. It really? makes me think. Yes, it, yes. It makes me feel that there's something in us that wants to be realised. I was, you know, did you know? I've become sort of a religious nutter. It's not like uh, any particular religion. It's all of them. It's essentially that I. Th- what, what happens is when I speak to people from uh, a variety of backgrounds with a variety of experience and expertise, my what I've begun to experience is that I need a perspective that is transcendent of material and mechanical facts beyond rationalism Uh, and sometimes beneath sometimes beside Uh, but what I feel like when I'm listening to you I feel like oh like Scarlett has been given the exact experience that was required to create this (laughs) person Scarlett has been uh, like uh, like you know surely now like you know you've had this real very real physical and alienating psychological trauma then you had the your reaction to that and the process of that and the part of your healing is to recognize that you can be useful in explaining and expounding ideas around feminism in ways that are new and realizing your own your own womanness feminine uh, your femininity and selfness through that journey from like and that your goals and, and the goals of say when I talk to Kindy Andrews who's like a professor of black studies at Birmingham like you know when I, like, I sort of see that oh I could I can see how our requirements and agenda can align if if we incorporate into this our uh, individual essential journey a kind of a individual hero's journey for each of us when uh when it becomes too externalized and too tribalized, yeah. it becomes like you said at the beginning of our conversation, you're not feminist enough, you're not the right type of feminist, you're not black radical enough, you're not the right kind of, you know, it, like and, and I feel that in a sense that that's an an external uh an external structure it is, yeah it's that, repeating the structures that we already yeah. live with. I don't know if you know this, but I am a witch as well I and I'm not very know obsessed that you're with a witch. crystals and yoga, so we can also talk about that. We can talk about brouhaha <laughs> and uh, stuff that comes out of the imagination and whimsy. I'm and c- sorry, you can't say that you're obsessed with all religions and then exclude witches. No, I, I don't exclude them. Or, like, the brouhaha was uh, something that we can talk about collaboratively. I would place um, <laughs> my sort of pantheonism, love of Christ, Buddha, Islam, crystals, anything that I can get my hands yeah. on on a level pegging with what, whatever what way you've come to divinity. For, yeah. For Wiccan. Well, yeah, it's really helped me. I think, I don't know, I was very anti all of this when I was sick because I think I felt like people were saying to me, if you just try hard enough, you don't have to feel this anymore. And I was like, well... I'm always going to be in pain. I'm in pain every second of every day. Uh, No amount of like, you know, I was also very young, but I couldn't, it felt like more pressure for me to figure it out myself. Um, And then as I got older, I think it 
changed a bit and I've always been very witchy and sort of heard things and felt things and known things. Go on, talk to me about your intuitions really? and insights and yeah, where it comes from. Tell me about it. You look a so, bit witchy. <laughs> that's on purpose. You've... Um, <laughs> that's me just trying to align myself with my soul. I Perhaps think... that's all fashion is. Yeah. Exactly, I think it is all fashion is. I think I come from a family of witches. I think some of them are evil witches and I sometimes think that I've been... I'm trying to make up for the sins of my evil witch family. Um, and I I don't know, I just always like knew things and could tell how people feel before they said it. And then I would have weird moments like when I, um, it was sometimes I'd hear my mum screaming when she wasn't actually screaming and she, something would have happened and I would like run to her. And I, it's a lot to my mum. I'm very overconnected to my mum. And yeah, and then I just started to, I, I could never find one of those things that worked for me. I tried meditation, I tried Buddhism, I tried praying, I tried everything. And then I started to do a lot of yoga, started to play around with crystals and started to do these kind of ceremonies on the full moon and the new moon where I would set intentions and talk about things. And I really think all it is is therapy. You know, it's another version of therapy. It's a way of sort of having something in your head and manifesting things and believing in things. And I just love it. I agree that we have to find our own, uh, we have to find a way individually and possibly collectively of negotiating with the unknown, yeah. with negotiating with mystery. Accepting that, it, not fighting against it. Yeah, and not, see when you, we say because of uh, the nature of your uh, expertise and your identity and the books that you, the, have you written more than one book? Um, one and then work on another one. Well done. The books, I didn't write them myself. <laughs> right, yeah, the compilations, compilations of essays and stuff. Yeah. Like, there's a tendency to talk to you using the language of, uh, you know, feminism or anti-feminism to enter into the discourse according to, you know, the, the, those pre-established parameters. Yeah. But what I'm interested in and always angling at pretty much whoever I talk to is how to incorporate the spiritual into the way that we organize systems yeah because in a way when we talk about as you did at the beginning of our conversation scarlet oppression the idea is that i'm not able to be who i am and when i was trying to identify with you from a, a different perspective as a male i'm saying well i feel like i've felt forms of oppression and as you diagnosed this my you know that i've my identity has been built around class, rejection of class, transcendence of class, those kind of ideas. But the th again, to talk about um, why I think the language of spirituality is important because is because it gives us a way of, of accessing perennial and universal ideas. I agree. And taking away blame as well, which I think I don't blame anyone. And so often when I speak, I think people feel blamed. But it isn't that, it's a much, I think feminism is very spiritual. It's about this kind of weird male energy that we can't, we feel we can't control. I did a, for my birth, so I was born on Midsummer's Day and I did a May. Um, is that 21st of June? Yeah, and last year I went to Stonehenge because um, it's the only day when you can touch Stonehenge and everyone, there's a huge festival there for the solstice and it's amazing if you ever want to go, we should go. Um, it's really like one of the most magical things I've ever done. You go there at like 3am and watch the sunrise. And then this year, 
I couldn't go, but I made all my friends do a ceremony with me for my birthday. I was like, this is my one present. You all have to pretend that you're not, don't think this is weird. And it was amazing. And we all wrote down three things we wanted to give up, three things we wanted to bring into the new, like the, as the days get shorter. And seeing all these men in my life do it and sort of do this thing that they would have thought was stupid was so powerful. And I think it, yeah, I just think it, it kind of works. But you need to find it yourself. And it needs to be whatever works for you. You see how uh, um, many of the things we're discussing that we are in the terms of our conversation we're calling patriarchal and, uh, and uh, male are, are synonymous in other forms of discourse with rationalism and materialism. Yeah. Also both ideals that exclude the fluid and feminine energy yeah. uh, uh, in, in, in a... In a, well, in the same way, it's just, I think, a different language yeah. describing the same phenomena. Something I'm really annoyed about, actually, is the word patriarchy, because the thing that I would like to tell people more than anything is that patriarchy is not men. It is a system, the same way as capitalism, same as anything. It's not men, it's everything, you know. And so I think the way we need to move forward is just for men not to see it as anything they've done wrong, because you're as much part of this system as anyone else. Yes, we're all to... It's like uh, blaming a shopkeeper for capitalism, you know? Yes, I think it's you're right about that. I have done that before. <laughs> um, like the Maharishi said, like, uh, if there is a person in front of the bars and a person behind the bars, the person in front of the bars is relatively free. You know, we're, uh, we're talking about... And again, to return to the drum that I'm forever banging on, that a spiritual revolution offers us the chance to be... F free of our misconceptions about ourselves that the totally. the first structure that we uh, the first oppressive structure that we encounter is our constructed self yeah. the belief that like you know is but, part of your spiritual journey trying to free yourself from this thing we call man it's about i I'm querying what aspects of what I believe to be myself are themselves constructions. Yeah. That's what I feel yeah. like. And that's pretty much an idea that's underwritten throughout Buddhism, throughout the Vedas, yeah. Uh, yeah, even Christianity, that we, you have constructed this idea of who you are. You are not free. And the thing that's been constructed is something that will cooperate and coordinate with the systems that benefit the powerful. And I think that's why I find so much religion so confusing, because so much of what they're saying is about freeing yourselves from the constructs of male and female, capitalism, everything. But then they, so many religions also have codified into the religion a separation of men and women and a subjugation of women. Possibly when these, when these spiritual systems become institutionalized. Exactly. They fall into exactly the same trap. And that's what really upsets me. And I think that's what means I find it hard. I think I would love so much of religion. Like I think... I do love so many aspects of it, but what I find hard is the institutions, which almost every single one of them holds back the women that are in that religion in some way. I, yeah, that's, yeah, that's plainly true. Uh, but, like, uh, <laughs> but what I feel like is that this is a critique that can be offered to the process of institutionalization and is not particular to religion and certainly totally. isn't particular to the idea of find who you are and no. then be of service. And I love anyone who's religious or on a religious journey. Like, I think it's amazing. I just think the reason I've never been able to, like, 
find one particular word for me except for being a witch is that I just always felt a bit iffy about the gender stuff and I think the amazing thing about witches is that you know the witches there's an incredible you should read a woman of one's own by Virginia Woolf but she talks a woman of one's own she talks about how women that were called witches were probably just poets yeah and so many you know the whole history of all of that is about holding women back who defied the norms of what it means to be a woman yes yes um what I want to say to you, Scarlett Curtis, before you started piping up about Sorry. witches again. Oh, yeah. That feminism is uh, like kind of a very sec... There's a question. How do you incorporate your love of mysticism into your uh, feminist discourse when often feminism is hyper-rational and critically motivated i would argue that's a misconception of feminism i think there's a huge amount of spirituality within a lot of feminism there's an incredible islamic feminist movement which is beautiful and really worth reading about um of women sort of going back to the quran and actually using the quran to back up feminist beliefs and talking about female energy and what it means to be female that's interesting yeah it's beautiful um who's that who's doing that and where is it and how does it like because the way we're taught to understand that particular yeah polemic is oh no you know islam versus feminism totally there's a really good book on there was a movement that was the called the iranian women's one million signatures movement just trying to get a million women in iran to sign um this petition that kind of talked about making Iran more uh, equal in terms of gender, but they used to back up their argument for equality, they used completely Islam and the Quran, and it was all based on being, you know, the biggest problem with any of feminism around this thing is when white women come in and go like, no, this is how your feminism should look. And I think that's what a lot of people associate feminism with within Islam. And actually there are these incredible Islamic feminists who use all of that to do it. Um, I May I say, because that's the same as that process of institutionalization that we've just discussed when we talked about like how orthodoxy becomes repressive to it's hell. I mean, women. Uh, the orthodoxy of a particular type of feminism becomes exclusive to other types yeah, I of mean, women. White women, I think, have messed up most of feminism for the last hundred years. The worst thing, one of the worst things for me about the war between America and Iraq was Barbara Bush who made this speech saying this war is because women in the Middle East can't, aren't allowed to wear nail polish and we need to fight for their right to wear nail polish and it was like it, you know that just epitomizes everything that's wrong with like white women coming in we're just as oppressed as anyone we need to everyone needs to fight for themselves you know I think there was this very good speech that was written in the civil rights movement by a group called the Combahee women's river collective because there was a lot of um oppression of women within the civil rights movement and the women were kind of told not to speak up even though their issues were very different from the men's and um they wrote this statement which was like we are not asking for you to advocate for us we're just asking to be allowed to advocate for ourselves you should read the whole statement but it's kind of the basis of a lot of intersectional feminism which is the right to advocate for yourself not the right to be told what to do, how to do, what a feminist is, what a feminist looks like, just to say, this is what, for me, will be, this is what my feminism looks like. Um, and then I think a lot of the feminists I'm friends with 
you know, really use this idea of astrology and witchcraft and spirituality and crystals, you'd be surprised how many modern feminists are obsessed with crystals. I think that's not a coincidence. I'm interested in that because do you know why? I've, I think I worked it out just then. Great. It's because uh, much of the oppression and condemnation of women is on is based on the idea of rationalism versus irrationalism, which is a similar template to the way that uh, the Muslim world has been historically oppressed. Are there irrational religious violence versus political violence? Political violence is very bespoke, a drone just droned out a couple of very guilty people you know so so really yeah like it's supported by the same structure so it in a sense precludes the incorporation of mystery and the unknown and magic because that, that plays into the hands of look at them they're sat around with crystals we can't have them running governments exactly you know? and now i think what we're saying is actually we've been living by these rules of rationality for the last two thousand years it hasn't worked why don't we fuck the whole system and you know, use this new way that is very feminism, that is very feminine, that is very spiritual to enact our feminism. I also think a lot of the women I know, and this is particularly in the West, but we feel like we are fighting against systems we can't see. You know, the men in your life tell you this isn't going on and you go, wait a minute, I kind of think it is, but I don't know where, I don't know why I feel it. It's not like anyone's telling me that I have to do this or have to do this, but there is something there. And so the obvious solution to that is something else that is invisible and in the ether yeah and also this was uh, I, again I think touches upon what when I was uh, advocating for a spiritual approach as opposed to an explicitly political approach because at some point you've got to, you've got to journey within and go who am I what is yeah. it that I want because I thought what I wanted was to be allowed to get a job in the city and earn a couple hundred grand a year totally. whose idea is that yeah. who's supplying that template Totally. Virginia Woolf was, she's like my obsession, as you can tell, because I brought her up a lot. She was very critical of the suffragettes because she said, we don't just need the vote. It's not like we're all sitting around going, oh, we'd be equal if we just had the vote. You know, those things are important. And I'm also very interested in changing political systems and changing laws. But it's something in the ether, you know, and we're never going to get the complete the feminism, feminist mission unless we deal with that as well. I suppose because in a way that civil rights issues may in the end come down to when you said I we should be allowed to determine what our feminism is in the end that will come down to ind individuals there will be as many versions of feminism or whatever ideology you choose as there are, are individuals they're just not the ones that are in the you know mainstream media why because you think that straw man or straw woman arguments are propped up in order to for, to for the prevailing mentality to continue to dominate yeah i think we had this idea that feminists like didn't shave their legs and you know were lesbians and blah 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 and I think that still mm. pervades today I reckon you're right and that's a sort of echo of that what you were talking about with witches that possibly were people that didn't were not subjugated within systems people that had individual power totally witches were the individual in an original feminist I just think a lot of like original patriarchy was that women do possess something that men are scared of and then it's like how they fought back against that. What do you think that is? I don't know. I think it's, again, something spiritual. I think it's a sort of power that doesn't look like power. You know, it's a soft power. And I think men have always been terrified by that. Not all men. Not all men. Hashtag not all men. Male system. Yeah, I think you're right about that. I mean, I even find it today, though. A lot of men my age find me very intimidating. Why do they? Yeah. How do you know? 
Because none of them want to go out with me. Oh, <laughs> well, that, yeah, the, 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 my diagnosis is that that would be because of intimidation. There can be no other motivational be, problem. No, I think, no, it's not just that. It's, I don't know, they do, you know, it's, it's scary. It's, again, that criticism we're not used to. Is that where you'd like a boyfriend? No, not really. I just think it's interesting that a lot of men are still intimidated by it. Hmm. Should we talk about Love Island for a bit? Yes, please. You were, went on just went on women women's hour yeah. to talk about what in particular. My job has become talking about Love Island. I love it so much. I am the most devoted fan. I've never missed an episode. I think, as you've probably seen by this conversation, I talk about these things all day every day, and you very get rarely get to see it in action with normal people. And I think when you watch Love Island, you are seeing human nature and humanity and the patriarchy in action. Yes, it's very stylized. Yes, they all look like people that don't exist in the real world. But as the show goes on, you do see men and women and friendship and love and hatred and gaslighting and all these issues that are so interesting to watch and then be able to talk about. You know, my whole family watches Love Island. My whole family has not read my book. In fact, I think none of them have read my book. But we are able to discuss these issues while watching Love Island. Well, yeah, I mean, so where do you think, what are the, what points do you think m- most illustrate uh, the, the social issues that interest you? Like Michael's it was Michael, treatment yeah. of Amber. I had to do a whole therapy session on Michael because I found it so traumatic. It was the way that he was so awful to her. That's fine. People cheat all the time. It doesn't matter. Whatever. It was a human thing. But then when he came back in, told her she was crazy something he'd never said before told her who she was childish something he never said before convinced her she was those things and then she felt she wasn't able to react to this kind of shitty thing he'd done in the way she wanted to because she was constantly checking herself going well maybe i am crazy maybe i am childish maybe i am demanding maybe i do fall into those things and you saw her kind of she should have just shouted at him and then be done with it but she couldn't because of this very clever argument he'd constructed around why he had done what he'd done and it's just that twisting of blame that you see again and again in this show from my perspective it's michael was unable to own his feelings michael is unable to go like what i like about love island is you see people dealing with primal issues yeah, exactly. hierarchy alliance sexual attraction yeah and what strategies are they going to use to cope with that and you see people confronted with oh i'm the kind of person that if i get a better offer i'll take it or even a different offer it's an issue that really i comes up again and again and again where so like my dad was talking the other day about someone he'd met who cheated on his wife or ages ago and he was like oh you'd have hated him because he cheated on his wife he wouldn't even tell me what it was that this man had done and cheating on someone is not sexism that is human nature everyone does it it happens whatever it sucks women do it men do it it's the way you then react to that that is oppressive you know it's when you then make it seem like it was the woman's fault make it seem like she drove you away to do that make it seem like she's being crazy and it's actually not happening those are the things that are bad and i think a lot of people mistake that what michael did with joanna was fine whatever he's a little shit the way he then treated Amber when he came back in was what was really bad. I, in my diagnosis, this is an inability to own your own feelings. To say, own your I own was actions. attracted yeah. to this person and I felt like I'd, you know, so like that's, 
Do you think which that, is a fine thing to say? It's a lack it of. It happens um, every day because he did the, the same thing, of course, when Joanna left, and then he went. Um, oh, she was. Uh, what did he say? She was. I was saying, and he was like, "I said that I'd found the one, who, but though? I didn't say who." Did who? I say who? I hate him so. That, was an that little gremlin. Move. Um, yeah, but I suppose it's interesting, isn't it? I think I'm starting to think that perhaps we're all heading in the same direction using the tools that we have in our disposal like that salts and nits and quote the line between good and evil doesn't lie between races genders or nations yeah. but runs through every human heart that we're uh, that the method i'm using to liberate myself from oppressive external structures and make myself of maximum use to the most people possible through being awakened and compassionate and kind sounds to me as a paradigm the same as what you're talking about but through the experience of your own background and but do you ever worry that within what you do which is amazing but do you ever worry that by that you're ignoring the kind of others the actual structural institutional things that do hold people back because it's very well and good saying to people become spiritual discover yourself whatever but if you are being held back by a system of oppression it is harder to do that i think awakened people like now listen i don't agree with like placing the onus for social change entirely on individuals yeah. i.e hey stop using plastic exactly, bottles yeah. then magically the problem of plastic will or disappear believe in yourself and then you'll get whatever you want yeah but i feel that the more people have their own genuine awakening the more they will be enabled and facilitated in overthrowing whatever structures they're being confronted by but if people are not awake to their own oppression then they're and for me like it's the universality of a spiritual awakening that's interesting if you awaken spiritually and you're like an out of work former industrial worker in the north of england your awakening is going to take on a particular complexion but I, but in my opinion a genuine awakening we're like oh yeah and there's a there's a racial component to this there's gender sex component like and you wouldn't go no but fuck it this is only about me or if you're you know a woman from a metropolitan background whose struggle is a about uh, oppression on account of a success, uh, uh, sex, an awakening would mean, hang on a minute, my yes. f- feminine nature is being oppressed. I fully agree. And that's, I think, what I'm trying to do. But do you, like, how do you take in those other things when you're telling people to be spiritually awake? Well, um, this is what I think at the moment, Scarlett, is that I'm not interested in creating little cells of people and sending them into existing structures and see if you can overcome Boris Johnson or see if you can overcome capitalism. I am now interested in forming new alliances that exist outside of these structures as much as we can ever exist outside of global capitalism, for God's sake, it covers the globe. But like creating relationships, systems and structures that are founded upon principles that are agreed on by its participants. So for example, with me and you in a conversation, it's pretty clear some of the things you're going to bring to the table and then other people that I'm talking to they're going to say well this has to be accounted for now what I reckon that might lead to is mass devolution that that if you have your ideals there are people whose ideals will be at odds with yours well those people going to have to run their own deal yeah you know so what I think that it will involve the a a real challenge to the status quo a, a, a real 
offer of an alternative way of living based on individual freedom, collaboration between individuals uh, and the establishment or creation yeah. of new systems. Uh, it's, for me, it's not apolitical, it's uber political. One of the things I learned pretty recently is that the, the secular project of making spirituality distinct and discreet from material and political philosophy is a very deliberate thing because totally, true spirituality yeah. means we've got to be fair to one another. We've got and to we've treat got to each change other change all the justly. systems that the world's based on. I think, and I agree, and I think that's why you have to be spirit, hyper-spiritual and hyper-practical because what I always felt up until now is that I was being told just believe in yourself and there were all these systems that were holding me back and meaning that I could have believed in myself as much as I wanted but I was still you know being very much uh, abused and stuff and so I think it's about doing both isn't it yes it is and I feel that in a way that spirituality is entirely practical because spirituality for me is how am I going to cope with living in this world with all of its complexity its corruption uh, with the, the conditions of material life transience yeah. death of everyone that I love you know how am I going to deal with well I better have some relationship with some kind of truth about who I am and if it doesn't lead to if it isn't activated if it doesn't lead to me being a kinder person then it's what value was it anyway yeah but it's too Decided, it's how am I going to cope but also how am I going to change it so I don't have to cope as much my feeling is yeah you're right about that but not but my sense is that the more of us that become awakened the more of us become activated the less easy it will be I completely agree with that yeah yeah so and I, I see that in a lot of young people which is really encouraging how do where, where do you see it I do a lot of work with teenage girls and there's a sort of way that they understand feminism that isn't binary and isn't secular as you've been saying it sort of just is who they are it's a part of everything they do there's a real open-mindedness to the way that the world can be that i would actually describe as very spiritual yeah because say like if you're like you're talking to a 14 year old and say and you're talking about some of the issues that we've discussed that what i would invite is can you discover what it is you really want are you able to look beyond the conditioning of your family your class yeah. your nation your time and see what it is there a thing called you and, and is the there something that you that want your family has held yes yes the prejudices that they've bestowed upon you yeah. god love them like are you able to see a person beyond that well what do you want and what is in the way of you achieving that is not I, I agree that this is no time for trite platitudes such as you know be yourself and yeah. pull yourself up by your bootstraps and that but like it's interesting that I, I feel that perhaps we are approaching the point where identitarian politics and spirituality can become very very collusive and collaborative not divisive and uh, polarizing I agree we've been speaking for 75 minutes Scarlett Amazing. Curtis in anybody's language that's Amazing. that's a while so while we've I covered we've Love Island, I, I would imagine that people will simply transcribe this conversation <laughs> and go and establish a utopia. <laughs> exactly. It's where perfect. West Ham fans from Greys and awakened feminists awakened. can live side by side. Exactly. If they choose. If they choose. Thanks. Amazing. Thank you for having me. It's oh, been an honour. Thank you for coming here with gifts and being so kind You're and welcome. informative. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed that episode of Under the Skin with Scarlett Curtis. Remember to let me know what you thought of it on Instagram. Tag me at Russell Brand or tweet me at Rusty Rockets with the hashtag Under the Skin. In the meantime, listen back to some previous episodes like Jamila Jamil or Beyond Conspiracy with Jacques Peretti. Please sign up to my mailing list on russellbrand.com so I can communicate directly with you. You'll be the first to know about my upcoming live shows and 
secret little gatherings that I do. Exclude, and you'll get like mailing list content. Can you imagine that? And it's very personal. It's not like one of those emails you get. And you think I don't opening that. Unsubscribe. Unsubscribe. Um, look at Rebirth as well if you want on Netflix. Thanks for listening to Under the Skin from Luminary Media.